Welcome to Every Album Ever with Mike and Alex. My name is Michael Mansour. I'm joined as always by my lovely, wonderful, alone in his home co-host Alexander Voltz. Say hello. Hello. Yeah, this is Every Album Ever. Thank you so much for listening. This is the podcast where we listen to every single album in the world, one artist at a time. That is a new discography for the most part, every episode. And today we are talking about... Cash rules everything around me. What is that? Cream. Oh, what? Cream. Is that what that stands for? Yeah, that's what cream stands for. Okay, but. okay. And we're already in. And we're already <laughs> in because I don't know what the... <laughs> Jesus Christ. So if you want to help us and support us, please, for the love of God, subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, fucking comment, review, tell a friend, five-star rating, all the things, please, for the love of God. We need help. We need, we're dying slowly alone <laughs> in our homes. And if you would also like to support us by suggesting an artist you want us to hear, you want to hear, I'm getting all fucking tongue tied. Who gives a shit? If you want to hear us talk about a fucking artist that you like, please email that to every album ever at gmail.com. I haven't plugged that in a while. I keep forgetting. No. Um, also, our intro was a little confusing. I quoted the Wu Tang Clan song, but we're talking about the rock band. The rock band. Yeah. That is not. Yeah, yeah, it's Cream, not Wu Tang. Although, whatever, our our uh, loyalties lie, and where you can tell if we're quoting Wu Tang <laughs> instead of Cream. Uh, also, if you want to hear more Cream that we like, you can listen to the playlist that we've put together on Spotify. There should be a link in the description of wherever you're listening or watching, as well as everyalbumever.com. We got playlists associated with every single episode, so you can do that or you can not do that. Fucking, I don't know. It's okay. We're here now. Oh my. God, I'm drinking whiskey. I have not eaten that much today. How are you doing, Alex? I just put down some uh, Japanese food, so I'm pretty good. The oh. portions were uh, more than I thought they would, so that's always a nice surprise. It is nice. Also, I bet things are weird during quarantine shit, so uh, I, c- I can imagine. Like, all right, someone ordered. Give them anything they want. For the love of God, we're starving. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when it goes back to normal, they're going to have to keep those portions up. <laughs> they don't got to do shit, Alex. All right. It's America. That's true. That's true. Uh, so this was America. So today we're talking about cream. Like we just said. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a little experience with cream. Uh, I heard a couple albums before and nothing. Uh, never did a deep dive. Never cared. Really? We all know uh, Sunshine of Your Love and White Room. The whole world knows those. That's what we're going for. That's what, I mean, not going for. That's what everyone is probably listening for. Mm. I don't know too many cream nerds. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're they're huge. Huge! Uh, one, of the, yeah. one of the biggest guitar players in the world with Eric Clapton, obviously. And uh, yeah, very similar. I've I haven't listened to any of their albums before. I just never, never cared, cared for. Uh, Clapton's just kind of uh, rubbed me the wrong way dude, for whatever okay, reason. So uh, he's got a crazy dedicated fan base. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But I mean, I don't like Clapton very much. Uh, but I don't like his music. I hear he's a weird curmudgeon, like uh, angry <laughs> fucking man. However, here's the thing. Uh, I did a little extra semi-extra credit and i felt it was my duty uh because we didn't discuss this before and i felt it's my duty to elaborate on ginger baker the drummer as much as possible i so i watched nice. i watched the whole doc uh beware mr baker i got some notes 
You took my job. I wanted to do that. It used to be on Netflix, but I don't I, think it is. It's not anymore. Uh, at the time of this recording. I think it's on YouTube. Uh, who knows okay. how long it'll be there. But uh, so I, I knew he was a funny, interesting, insane character. And I this is like the only opportunity there really is to talk about him. And uh, I didn't want to like take leave any any room for error. So I watched the doc. I took a bunch of notes on things I thought were very funny about him. Uh, and during the doc, obviously, they're, <clears throat> they interview Eric Clapton as well as Jack Bruce, the bassist and vocalist for Cream. And out of the three of them, Clapton seemed not only the most stable, but the most normal and empathetic and reasonable of the bunch. And like, not even like the best of the worst kind of, kind of thing, like mm-hmm. a legitimately decent guy. Like he seemed like he was a, like a normal, nice guy who I wouldn't mind talking to. So yeah, all the horrible things I've heard about him, I'm like, okay, I'm sure there's, there's, there's validity in both directions. So I don't hate Clapton as a human being so much do still kind of hate his music. Uh, yeah. Cream on the other hand, I feel like we're both going to say some blasphemous shit. So is oh, a warning. Sure. I, we've against, once again, we have not discussed this, but it's just a feeling I have yeah. <laughs> knowing Alex, we might say some pretty horrible shit about this band. I do appreciate them and I do not discredit. Uh, they're like the first, you know, arena rock, fucking huge, crazy rock star band. First super group type thing. Uh, I don't know what else. There's a lot of yeah. Things. Before I lean into them, they're definitely uh, innovators of hard rock, like proto metal in some mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, which like, Ginger Baker is not a fan of that. No, he's not. <laughs> Piece of I shit. Saw, <laughs> I saw some quote from him like, "Oh, if we gave birth to heavy metal, we should have aborted it." That's or exactly something. what he said. Or yeah, not exactly, but he did say he, it should have been aborted. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, fuck, fuck that dude already. Fuck and, him already, uh, but you're gonna. If you're not turned by all the things I elaborate about this guy, I don't know what to tell you because this guy's amazing. He's fucking amazing, yeah. dude. He looks. Oh my god, go on. He looks scary, like a horror movie character, even when he's young. Like, okay, so you want me to, want me to start now with my elaboration of Ginger, Mister Ginger Baker? Let's, yeah, let's do it. So, cream, like we said, it's Eric Clapton. Uh, guitar, Jack Bruce, bass vocals, Ginger Baker drums. Uh, they're all like remarkable musicians. Uh, that's like, kind of what made them a super group essentially because, well, I guess Clapton had Yardbirds, but uh, yeah, they were, yeah, he had the Yardbirds and then that's what their name is a reference to that. They are the cream of the crop yeah, that yeah. they were the most sought out after uh, musicians in England at the time. So the first thing I will, I will mention is that, okay. So Ginger Baker, he, if you, whoever doesn't know, he's like the uh, progenitor of all rock drummers. So he was the, the crazy man. The first of all, he was amazing. He was a, a brilliant drummer. Uh, everyone kind of emulated him in some way or another, even people that I like more as a drummer, they all came from him kind of stuff. Um, and then he all, he also had the, the stage energy of a fucking madman. So he was like an instant. This is the guy we want to be like for generations. Um, and that's what, uh, that's what makes bands his personalities. So, yeah. And the, you already touched on it a little bit. The man looked older in his thirties than he did in his seventies. And he looked like <laughs> shit in his seventies. He, he looks terrifyingly like Willem Dafoe in the lighthouse in a lot of old footage. Like I, I, oh, I, yeah. I mean, not even 
like I'm not stretching at all. Like look it up and then put a side by side. He fucking looks just like it's really, really off putting. Huge heroin addict. Huge heroin addict. Oh, that uh, makes sense. That off, makes sense. Yeah, off and on throughout his entire life. And uh in this this doc, oh my, there's so many things that he he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. And by all accounts, he's just a horrible guy. Like you know, he's a brilliant percussionist type situation, but he's just a bad dude. Um he did have some eccentricities though. Like, uh, I don't remember who said it, but one person, one person said that before every show, he always, he had to have uh, a case of beer, uh, two black hookers and a white limo, or he wouldn't play. Like he had to have all Whoa. of those. So already, okay. All right. It's all right. It's an interesting start. Uh, during the film of the doc, I think it was his last wife. He had, he was married to a, I th- probably during the, I don't remember how old she was when she died, but, or not when he died. Um, Cause he died in, Last year, I think, 2019. Um, during the film of the doc, I think she was 27. He married a 27-year-old uh, African woman who already had two kids. I think it was his fourth wife. And during the, the, the doc, the director is uh, interviewing both of them at, like, in the kitchen. And he asked, he asked the wife, he said, uh, is, uh, is Ginger a good stepfather? And I'm not kidding you. There was a full, you can count it yourself. I counted it. A full nine seconds of silence before she said, yeah. Nine <laughs> seconds of silence. Nine, dude, dude, nine seconds in a movie of just staring at the camera. It's so uncomfortable. It's so it's uncomfortable. An eternity. Uh, and also, like, he was really, really obsessed with, with African and black culture because he's a percussionist and they're like, they're Africa's known for, you know, rhythm sections mm-hmm. and percussion and all that. So he was really obsessed with it. So obsessed with it that uh, his, his estranged son uh, said that he once heard him. Uh, fighting with his first wife, the the mother of his kids, uh, and he screamed at her, uh, "I wish I had black kids." Like, what the okay, fuck? okay, oh, whoa, that's all. All right, that's a. I mean, you could do that. <laughs> I don't know, I guess, but uh, that's from what little I know about Eric Clapton. That's kind of something they have in common because I've seen interviews with Clapton where he's like. Oh, I'm so like tortured that I'm not, you know, a, I can never be like a true blues artist because mm. I'm not black. And that's I'm just like, shit, dude, just be a good musician. Uh, that's yeah. actually a, a, kind of similar to, to beggar because he was, uh, you know, he's, he's a jazz dude at heart or was a jazz dude at heart. And, um, he was like kind of finally accepted into that community by his idols growing up. Like during one moment, it was like really touching where he said, uh, there were four drummers that made me cry or whatever that made like inspired me more than anything. And he named them all. He's like, and I became dear friends with every one of them. That means more to me than anything. And he was like crying a little bit. I was like, wow, this guy's got a heart. Uh, Holy shit. Yeah. Only about drums. Only, only about drums. And furthermore, gets got have more. There's <laughs> so much more. <laughs> he left the mother of his children, his first wife for his daughter's first boyfriend's 18 year old sister. What the fuck? fuck? Yep. He, uh, holy shit, dude. Okay. I'll, I'll just move on from there. She ended up leaving him for like, for like someone younger and more uh, like rock star ish too, which is kind of fucking funny and ironic. Um, not ironic, but kind of like poetic, but his, his life is just a Maury Povich episode. I guess I suppose <laughs> I mean, in a way, I think far more heroin is involved. You know, maybe the same amount of heroin. Yeah. It might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
he at the height of his fame quote unquote he he moved to africa and he like took like a few years building this studio there and he was became really close with the, the you know the, the the more popular artists in that i think it was nigeria and at a certain point when it was getting like when it was like completed and he was like having people record there uh i guess at the time the record companies there were kind of like mafia type companies where there was just very much wild west so they came to him and they said hey you're not you can't build a studio here this is our shit like you can't do that and he uh verbatim said fuck off and then they left and then uh like three armed soldiers came back he leapt off his balcony like fucking indiana jones into his Range Rover, where they started shooting at him like a fucking minority report movie or something or like yeah literally he he was fleeing as they were shooting at him from his own studio uh and that's where that's why he left africa the first time uh what else uh he was so obsessed with polo that he it, he went broke from it because i don't know if you know polo's tent polo tends to be a, a more rich sport with yes. the horses yes. and the whatnot and all that shit uh he was so obsessed with it yeah he spent all his money on horses and upkeep and, uh, and he went broke uh and then in 2005, Cream reunited, and uh, he got paid quite a bit. And then oh, he's yeah, those shows fucking sold huge. out. He spent shows. He spent million the millions of dollars he earned on horses again. Damn. And it's, and then, which of course made him he's broke again. He was he was broke again immediately. 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 Yeah. He bought like 24 horses or something like that. That's like, uh, that's the second drummer we've done that likes polo because Stuart Copeland of the police also loves polo, but uh, I don't think he wasted his money like that. No, no. And also Copeland was interviewed as well. And he was like, I'd never heard interviews with Copeland before. He's a really charismatic dude. He's like, he seems like really, really um, sharp for his age. Um, yeah. Like I, I think I said before, but it was a while ago. I, I want to like him, but he's he's kind of a. It's his actions. Like, it's his. It, yeah, I, I like him, but probably I would never, because uh, you know he's calling me to work with him and stuff. I would never work with the oh, guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, stupid. But uh, okay. Last thing I'll I'll, I'll note about this a, fucking eccentric, wonderful Mr. Baker, wonderful eccentric Mr. Baker. Uh, he had three kids with his first wife. They're all estranged. I swear to God, at different points, and this was not like highlighted in the movie or anything. It was just. I just happened to notice they are all three of them are swear to God smiling every time they talk about something bad happening to him. Every time they talk about him failing oh, at something, they hate, him. they hate him so much. They're fucking smiling when they talk anything, anything remotely negative about him. It's, it's crazy. It's I don't, man. I don't blame them. Nor do I. Uh, he sounds like, like a fucking uh, maniac. You can't come after me for alimony if I dumped it all on horses. Also, if he leaves the, the continent, which he did a, f- a few times. Uh, so, yeah, he's dead. He's dead as fuck. And, like, you know, fuck it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ah, fuck. Uh, as far as like human beings go, he's really bad. He's a really bad guy. Yeah. But, real good drummer. Real good drummer. And you, you see, like, if you look up any like drum solos of his and drum battles that, that he's had and stuff, they're wildly entertaining. He's a wildly entertaining dude to watch. Real good drummer. And I'm going to start. I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to kick it off with, with getting some hate. None of that fucking shines through with these albums. I felt none of his drumming here. I felt very little of it. Like I felt I, that I, it's not like a, 
a flattering representation of what he can do. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I guess I'll wait to the song. There's certain songs where it's like a more tame Keith Moon. Like he's not playing straight beats. Yeah, yeah. They're a little more innovative, but so we're going to start now at cream. Uh, during their very, very short existence, they had four whole albums, four fucking barely what you can call albums. And we'll get into it more. First one was in uh, 1966. Last one was 1969. And we're going to, excuse me. Sorry, whatever. First, first album, 1966, fresh cream. Always hated this song. Really? Always. I love this intro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the montage for every Martin Scorsese movie. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little, but it feels like a Scorsese thing, though, for sure. It does. I mean, it also needs at least one Rolling Stones track, if not several. Yep. This is so 60s. I just, yeah, I never got the appeal of this song. I tried, I tried, but. I get, well, I like it, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's fucking gonna change anybody's life. Uh, I I can see how it's different from traditional rock and roll, but that doesn't mean it's good. I. You know, I disagree. I think it's a decent song. Uh, however, least favorite. <laughs> Worse. Worse. Least favorite. Oh, yeah. fuck. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Uh, I don't like it. I <laughs> don't like this at all, dude. <laughs> it's like, I don't think it's aged well. Nothing stands out to me. I can appreciate, you know, at the time, maybe why this was different and popular, but mm-hmm. I'm living in 2020, you oh, know? Yeah. A lot of it's sort of, uh, you got to compartmentalize in and thinking, I like, know what was this like back then, but at a certain point, when does that, when do you get over that and start listening to it for enjoyment? And I fucking can't, like I, I really tried, uh, first of all, the, the biggest, most glaring, obvious thing coming back to it in, in our lifetime, um, or at least in, you know, this 2020, uh, production is one of the worst examples of 60s stereo production. One of the most hilariously awful, <laughs> awful examples. Um, do not listen to this with headphones. If you're listening to this album, do not use headphones. This is how it's panned. Okay. And like, we, it's, it's like all in the right, right? So all, the bass drums and rhythm guitar are all crammed on the right. They're all just fucking three stooges, three stooges on the right. And the vocals, the lead guitar here and there, and a tambourine is all on the left. So for the most part, you're just listening to one earbud (laughs) the whole time. It's one of those awful unbalanced things I've ever heard. Uh, With speakers, it's not as obvious, of course, but uh, it's like, man, they really... Man, it makes me really, really appreciate the the few albums in that that era that did it okay. Like, 
the doors mm-hmm. and well Beatles didn't do it that well but fucking still compared to this it was really good this is awful just go mono man just fucking <laughs> god damn <laughs> just embrace it yeah I don't think there's a mono version of this on streaming at all either or I didn't find it. Uh, there is for for like you know future albums, but for this one, I could only find the, this version. If uh, you know, I gotta say something nice. I uh, I do like. I think I like NSU. That's one of the better songs to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't mind it. I like. I like. Of, oh, go on. Oh, that's one of those songs where it's it's dirtier, and I can see how it paved the way for for hard rock. You know. I'm going to put on a little bit of that motherfucker right now. This is NSU. That's a cool drum line, too. Yeah. It's hard to appreciate the drums, though, because, like, they're so crammed in one spot. Like, you can't even... I think this would, I think it would hold up. It's cool. I think it would hold up a lot better with better, like if it, you know, like a, at least a mono version of this because a lot of the, like it's really groovy. Like those drums are actually very cool, but they just you just can't tell because of how badly it's produced. Um, I also, I mean, you don't like feel I feel free, but I like it, so it can kind of go either way. I dig dreaming a little bit. It's kind of it's kind of nice. I wrote that as one of my least favorite songs. <laughs> Fucking ass. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. There are some interesting guitar. Sorry, I got my songs. Which one up. were you thinking? Uh, what was I thinking of? I was thinking of Sleepy Time Time. Oh, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. Kind of, yeah, they're, they're kind of similar. So that, sorry, I got them mixed up. Like Dreaming does have some uh, some cool guitar parts. It's way more it. yeah, melodic and stuff. Sleepy Time Time is more blues shit and there's a lot of blues that, shit on here oh yeah so many blues covers on here and sleepy time time might as well be a cover because it's just standard like blues chords going back to what you were saying where like the musicianship doesn't shine through because they fall into traps like mm-hmm. that song there's uh and it, to be completely fair, blues is a really big part of this band, and I don't like blues, so it feels a little unfair, and I feel a little biased. But uh, like, you can still do blues stuff and be really fun and really interesting about it. Like, I mean, as much as you, I can talk shit about Led Zeppelin for being thieves. When they do some blues shit, it's fucking real good. Uh, yeah, uh, the they figure out a way to make it more spacey and kind of their own. Also, where like, it's gone, I cut you off. Where obviously Cream does things that they they make it their own. These are obviously different, but at the same time, like they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, another thing about I mean, as long as we're talking about Zeppelin, is because the drums are produced so fucking so wonderfully they're produced i mean it's later on it's not completely fair they had time studios had time to figure things out by the time they came around but uh even by cream's last album which was you know zeppelin's first album around that time time, still it's like light years apart in terms of the drum production and zeppelin stuff where it highlights this fucking crazy drummer and and everything he was good at and that's 
all cream should have been. It should have been only highlighting ginger because uh, the actual writing is pretty fucking not great. It's really bluesy. It's really, you know where it's going. The thing people liked about this band was that they're one of the first jam bands for the most part, I think. And I, I hate jamming. I hate bands that play for a fucking hour just <laughs> soloing over the same four chords. Uh, I'm sure seeing them live was like a really, especially if you're a high on acid, I'm sure everyone in the audience was, I'm sure it was a very exciting thing. It does not fucking translate to these old ass albums produced like ass. It's really hard to listen to. I, I, God damn. I guess we should talk about Toad then, because that is one of the first recorded rock drum solos. Yeah. So I guess I give that a thumbs up because so you know, I. I, I like the drums and it did help pave the way for the, the bottoms mm. and uh, and all that. So Toad is, you know, an interesting focal point for rock music, I think. So the thing with Toad is like even I'm not a huge fan of listening to drum solos. I like watching drum solos <clears throat> and Normally, I wouldn't even like, yeah, this is like a hugely influential track. This is like, you know, like you, like you just said, the first recorded jump solo. With my ears in this year of our lower 2020, I'd be like, <laughs> who gives a shit? It's still boring to listen to. However, it it actually did stick out. I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, I didn't even, mm -hmm. it didn't even, I didn't process that it was the first one recorded. I had no context of that. I just thought it was pretty fun. I just, I, so I, I dig it as well. Um, I think I would like, I'm so glad if the vocals weren't so fucking off key the entire time. And this is one thing that's weird because Jack Bruce is a fucking great singer. He's got an awesome voice, but one thing he does for the majority of this band is, Oh, that's just, oh, that's And it's harmonized usually super fucking falsettoed and, and it's cool for a little bit. Don't do it every for like song. One, one song. Yeah. yeah. He does it all the time. And it's, it's funny to me that their most famous songs, uh, sunshine ever love in white room. He sing, he's not doing that. He's fucking singing mm -hmm. like with his full voice and he sounds awesome. Uh, so the fact that most of the discography is him doing that shit is it's like, Really? Like it's such such a high energy band and he's just oh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just hearing you like do it alone <laughs> without the music's funny to me right now. But it also like points out like that's a very interesting place to go, like, oh, were these these white kids from England who want to be blues musicians. They were like, all so like, obsessed with being black. It's, and they're just these fucking English guys. It's so funny. <laughs> just out there twirling in like the flowers. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man, you get an A plus for that impression. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like what else is like like where it's not super bluesy it's jammy and where it's not jammy it's it's bluesy it's just yeah pretty, pretty there's, much the two modes. there's really no in between so yeah i appreciate how talented everyone is but just this is not easy listening especially over the i mean 
we've had we had the whole 70s to hear stuff like this but better uh i don't see unless you're like a huge nerd uh any reason to to go this early to into cream's career like i don't think it holds up yeah unless you're like a drum nerd yeah you need to hear that you need to hear toad or if you're like a fucking diehard cream fan which a lot of people are and you need to hear the the studio version of spoonful then here you go spoonful sucks but anyway sorry uh i got a spoonful about spoonful <laughs> oh i know okay so we're gonna move on that's alex's worst and least favorite this is my just it's just my least favorite i don't think it's the worst but i don't like it and i'll never go back to it so we're going to move on to what year is this 1967 this is disraeli gears i like i do like the guitar tone better on this than the previous album it's not all it doesn't sound as crammed into one ear. It's yeah. produced better. For sure. Still doing it. Still doing the full Still doing stuff. It. Still doing it. So these are traditional as fuck blues progressions. Extremely traditional. And I believe this is uh Mama or Hey Lottie Mama but just with their version of Lottie Mama but with just oh, okay. their vocal lines over it yeah there's so many cover songs okay uh yeah that's like that's literally their rendition their, their the music is their cover of uh you know blue song Hey Lottie Mama but just with their lyrics and vocal lines over it uh so that's why that sounds the way it does. And then the following track is Sunshine of Your Love, which we all know and is like, whoa, where did this come from? It's way different. Yeah. And that's a song that's played out as fuck, but I can, I can admit it and it's I can see why great. it's played out. It, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, the fuzz and everything about it, it, dude. It's wonderful. And like, yeah it's played out but it's i always felt like it was uh what's that stupid smoke on the water like i that's where that's equally played out but i i hate that song and i fucking cannot listen to it this i thought it was that for me until it came i was like oh this song this song doesn't get bad it never gets bad it's just always so good i could still throw on uh sunshine of your love where if someone was like put on smoke on the water i'm like no no never pump the brakes there yeah Yeah. uh and honestly i really like a lot of this album like world of pain i I dig it i really like dance night away uh they have like the sitar like guitars on on dance the night away it's it's a i'm gonna gonna put on just the the intro because the intro should shout out to david lee roth (laughs) <laughs> oh boy Whoa. <laughs> different, different dance the night away yeah. but the, I think of the Van Halen one when I hear the yeah yeah alright let's dance the night away that's great gonna be 
then <laughs> yeah so i like that intro a lot and i mean this album it still has a lot of that falsetto shit like it's uh that's like his style i guess mm-hmm. which is weird because you hear sunshine and love and he sounds uh really strong like re- it's a really strong voice it's weird mm-hmm. it's just like why would you not always lean into that it's, i don't know so one of the worst one of the worst cream songs ever blue condition yeah 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 for sure <laughs> well also P-U. it's it's like one of the longest three minutes 30 seconds of my life and ginger baker singing on it and i'm like what's up with like british drummers specifically ringo when they sing they go do the, the goofy all right like they kind of have the goofy vocals like we it's very it similar on. we gotta do it him and ringo the way they sing all right here's uh, some ringo star action on blue condition i do agree this song fucking blows though. That's Ginger? Yeah. Yeah, it does sound super 60s. But this is the whole song pretty much. Yeah, it sucks. I fucking hate that song. And it comes after uh, Dance Night Away, which is like, come on, man. What the fuck are we doing here? And that's like, that's when the album starts like, it is not at all perfect, man. It's got some real fucking stinkers. Um, but I don't know, like <clears throat> we're going wrong. Uh, I really like the song, but that's when the, I really started to, to not be able to ignore the vocals doing that harmonized mm-hmm. fals- falsetto thing. Like it's going real far here. Like, okay, dude, like there it's pretty, pretty blatant example. And it's kind of, yeah, it's fuck. I mean, the song is cool, but sing it, dude. I- fuck. That that's one of the songs I like is we're going wrong. Like mm-hmm. I like singing over the drum fills and there's this like the strums of the guitar. Mm-hmm. And then I believe around the one thirty mark it like crescendos and then it goes back and it's uh I think it's pretty cool. I think it works. We're gonna put on, on that one thirty of that. And I this is the crescendo part. <laughs> uh you said we're going wrong? Yeah. I put on the wrong song for some reason. You're going wrong. I am going wrong. No. All right. Here is. We're going wrong. This twirling in the heel. The hills. <laughs> I think I should do that actually. A lot of build up. Yeah, I think it's a good example of what you were saying. Where just focus on the drums and they get a little bit off. Yeah. Today we're going. 
fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's so like that, crazy buildup, but it just it's so badly produced that you can barely tell. What else is good or worth talking about on here? Uh, Tales of Brave Ulysses is one of the first songs to have a uh, wah-wah pedal on it. Oh, really? Yep. I and I it was overlooked because people felt it was too similar to White Room. So it's like White Room's the better song. So they kind of forget about this. Mm, mm. And and then uh, one day when I was watching that YouTube channel Thrash Theory, they pointed out how this also probably inspired some some metal bands like Iron Maiden to start singing about epics and and history. This mm. is you know one of the first rock songs to mm. be like a, a nerd about mythology and all that. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and it's also before the the days of prog rock where everything was the most nerdy and Tolkien was in every song. Yeah. This is like two minutes, 30 seconds, I think. And it, it has a prog rock title. If you look at it, you're like, man, that's a 13 minute song. Nope. It's just a condensed, uh, condensed song. That's one good thing about their, their studio stuff for the most part is it's not that long. It's pretty, it's pretty brief for the, mm-hmm. the most part. And this album isn't very long. Um, yeah, it's way, I mean, compared to the first one, it's so easy to sit through. It's like, it's significantly better. Um, I don't think it's amazing at all, but there are like a, a lot of solid ass songs in here. The only thing that stopped me from giving this best or personal favorite is outside woman blues and mother's lament holy shit yeah those two songs make the album feel like it's two hours long those suck real bad and yeah the dude man anything remotely blues on here does it drags it down so significantly like you 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 hear them going in this direction of of really well written you know like a lot of build-up stuff like like the shit we put on from we're going wrong and then and then just blues dicking around for an hour and then the mother's a man. I don't even know what the fuck that is. It's it, to be. I mean, it's, at least it's the last track. But uh, I'm gonna just put it on, and and y'all uh, decide. <laughs> it's funny for how much they love the blues, but that's arguably their weakest. Mm-hmm. The weakest aspect of the band. I think. Oh yeah, for sure. The youngest. How how hey Alex? How much more British can you be? This is one of the most British songs ever. Until you find out they have a song called "Tennis Anyone." Yeah, and then that's the most British thing. (laughs) Okay, you get the fucking idea. Okay, Uh, and that's also a thing that bothers me about that is because (laughs) because. You you listen to Cream and they sat in the way Bruce sings and the way even when Ginger sings, uh, they don't have the accents, which means they know how to sing without British accents, which means they're doing it on purpose there, which means fuck them. And that's how I feel about that. So will this will this record a a, a pub song, eh? Like a, a song they can listen to in the pub, eh? So we can drink drink to ah, I can't do a fucking British accent, but if if I could I would do it. So, okay. Good album. Yeah, but not for me. 
and not for Alex that much. It sounds like. I mean, it sounds like we were pretty much seeing eye to eye on this shit. Yeah, I uh, I guess is it sw- Swabler Swabber Swal Swalber S W A L B R because of course it's spelled that way. I'll I'll give that song some uh, some credit. Same, it's not bad, not bad. I like yeah, I like the intro and it comes back around in the song. So uh, real high energy. It kind of yeah, that's like. Uh, if more more of the album was that, I probably this would probably be my favorite. Um, but because it's not, we are moving on to the big one. Probably, I assume it's the big one because I don't know much about this band. <laughs> this is 1968 Wheels of Fire. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just making fun of the band. <laughs> That's where he should have gone. Yeah. <laughs> what a great intro. Yeah. And we're all where we all know we were going to end up. Yep. And much like Sunshine of Your Love. Holds the fuck up. Yeah, I'd probably be okay if I never heard it again, but I I get it. I get I fucking it. Fucking get it. And his voice sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, he's not he's not twirling around. That's he's no longer twirling. Except right here. Okay, we all know that song, and I feel like we all like that song. So, best personal best favorite. Best personal favorite. It's like a no-brainer, kind of. However, fucking not a, not a great album. I don't feel like. like. And by not a great album, I mean the simple fact that the second half exists. Yeah. It shouldn't be there. I don't know why they did that. It's like, for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know, this is a double album, but the second disc is just a fucking live album. It's just a live album. And it's it's and, so unnecessary. Yeah, it's like people just wanted more cream, and this was how they were going to get it to them. Yeah. But I, I guess... I don't know if you want to jump around. I'd be okay just talking about the studio album and then briefly. Yeah, that's pretty much what we have to do because if if I were if I had to judge this based on like um well put together album, this wouldn't be the best because of that. The fact that they just tacked on so, like a significantly large portion of the this album is the live stuff. Um mm-hmm. <clears throat> If that wasn't there, it would be a better put together album. But the fact, like the fact that it's there, it just feels tacky. Um, one thing uh, I will note real quick about the <clears throat> about White Room that I heard in the doc is that um, it's it's one thing that that I've touched upon a few times in previous episodes about odd time signatures that you don't notice and why bands like Soundgarden can are, are so impressive because they do a bunch of crazy time signature stuff but you don't notice it because of the, their music is so accessible the intro to white room is in five four but it doesn't feel odd and that's a, a real testament to i think baker because he said in the doc he's like 
yeah, like he started like like you know pantomiming the drums to it. And he's like, yeah, Bruce wrote it in 4-4. And I said, no, it should be in 5. And he started doing it. I was like, yeah, and it, it sounds correct. It sounds more correct in this odd time signature than it would if it was in 4-4. Like, I, I play it in my head in 4-4. I was like, that's fucking whack. It's, it's just, this sounds like a, like a, almost like, um, like you're being led into battle type, type drum thing. And yeah, that, that wouldn't work if it was in 4-4. Yeah, very smart choice to to do that and catch that on his part. And also, uh, it also brings up another potential argument of uh, of like royalties in music, where you can't copyright bass lines or arrangements, and drums count as arrangements. You can only copyright melodies and lyrics, or vocal melodies and lyrics, or whatever. Uh, so Baker never got any credit for these songs, even though he arranged pretty much most of them or played a big role in arranging them. And that's like for, I, for a lot of bands, I can see how that's not as important as the music, but for a band like cream where I don't think the music is that great, but the drums are real interesting. It seems more, way more unfair. Yeah. I think if, if you're not a solo artist though, or under the agreement that, you know, it's a, a band like, uh, nine inch nails or where you're really only there for one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you you're saying we're a band, I really think it should, this be split mm-hmm. equally between the members, unless there was some sort of agreement before that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a bullshit. Uh, it's also, I'm a, assuming why he, he was broke for a lot of his life. Like he, I mean, he, of course he was highly irresponsible on a drug addict and he spent his money on fucking horses. But the fact that like, I am without a doubt though, the two hits alone bring in an absurd amount of money, like sure. licensing them once I can only imagine is in hundreds of thousands. And yeah. And, and given how much we hear it, that's a lot of royalties, a lot yeah. of royalties uh, that he's not uh, getting or wasn't getting it apparently. Also, with the rise of hip hop, they sample the drums and the bass lines. Uh, yeah. Not that guitars don't get sampled, but like the drums and the bass lines. Are yeah. The, All right, that's like the, the bread and butter. butter. Yeah. Backbone of hip hop. It's crazy. It seems stupid as shit. I don't like copyright law for the most part. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't understand it because a lot of times a bass line is what makes the song the song. Why would you not be able to copyright that? I don't understand. Or, or say, yeah, we're we're bandmates, but you know, I'm only gonna take the credit and fuck the rest of you. It that could make seems- sense if you do carry the weight, but I bet not. Like, for fun example, fun example, Mr. Glenn Danzig, and I. I we've talked about <laughs> the Misfits episode eleven a little bit, um, and I like Danzig. I think he's. I think he had when he had a voice, it was one of my favorite voices. I fucking love his voice and I love his songs and I love the bands and all the stuff. Uh, and if you look at every one of his releases, it says all songs by Glenn Danzig. And I fucking have problems with that because if you listen to the first four Danzig albums, the one with the quintessential lineup, um, and then you listen to all the ones after you hear how much better, the first half or the first four albums were because he had amazing, he had John Christ and Chuck biscuits with him. Those Mm -hmm. like, those are awesome musicians and a lot of embellishments on their part. Uh, But yet on all those albums, you'll see all songs by Glenn Danzig for fuck's sake, dude, (laughs) other musicians help you get better. Arrangements count. 
arrangement yes. should count in my opinion. Anyway. Yes. Uh, what the fuck are we talking about? Uh, we're Korean. talking about Wheels of yeah. Fire, our supposed best album yeah. where we're not going to talk about it. At all. This is the world's first platinum double album. Really? That's pretty big. So that, Yeah, this sold like fucking hotcakes. And they were like a, a legitimate arena band. They were playing stadiums and shit. You know, like... Oh yeah. 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 They were, they were huge, obviously. Um, I really care for most of the, the blues cover nope. stuff, but yeah. I, I do think sitting on top of the world is one of their stronger covers. Uh, I don't, I, I don't think it's, you know, for sure in terms of the blues shit, it's, it's by far one of the better ones. Uh, my problem with it is that it's track two, track two <laughs> after, after white room, just fucking after white room. Just, yeah energizes the holy hell out of you and you want to go fucking bang a bunch of hookers it would blow and heroin or whatever it is they, these guys did then they just slow it way the fuck down with this i mean it's really really disappointing i was uh it's a it's a momentum killer it's the ultimate momentum killer um, the the band that it's covered from i just want to say their name because it's a cool name the mississippi sheiks that's How a good fucking, name it's a good name a, Awesome. That's an amazing name. Mississippi it, it's two things that don't belong together, but it, and it works. It's also a fun two words to say, Mississippi. Sheets. Yeah, like it. I don't know. I like. That's a good name. <laughs> um, one song that did piss me off a lot. Uh, passing the time. You didn't I like that? Thought, huh? You didn't like that one? No, I thought. Oh, is this like White Room Part Two? I really mm. like the way it started, and then it just fucking goes so south for me. I like it. It's not. It's no White Room, but it's uh, like like it has this you know this weird uh, sort of lullaby esque intro and outro with these bells and like some strings and stuff, and then it it has like this kind of psych rock part in the middle. I'll admit the psych rock part is real underwhelming because like that that really lullaby-esque thing it, i know i get it, it kind of uh lulls you into a thing that it might be very big um and it's not big it's not big at all i still like that stuff though i still think the intro and outro are really really odd and creepy i dig it after that you get as you said and mm. my bar was significantly lowered right i was in, i was intrigued but also ready for disappointment mm-hmm. because the last song but uh pretty good I dig it as well. I, good. You know yeah. what? We're going to put on a little bit of that because it's, it's, it's like the most, uh, like you hear that and you're like, oh yeah, 60 psychedelic shit. Whenever you think of 60 psychedelic, you think of this song. I was like, hell yeah, I'm on board, but I was hurt. I was hurt the last song. Yeah. I would hate this too, but I like it. I'm surprised you like it. Yeah, I think I just really appreciate them going, going on all over, going all over the place. It's not as much bluesy shit on here. Like, so when he, I'm so used to hearing these fucking long bluesy songs that I really don't like at all, and then I hear this strange psychedelic stuff with acoustic guitars and strings, and the some of the vocals sound like they're 
I forgot the name of the effect, but it sounds like they're underwater. That 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 effect. Uh, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, more of this, please, for the love of God. Not too much, but some. Uh, yeah, you get a uh, pressed rat and warthog. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, it, I I think it predates Velvet Underground, and it could totally be a Velvet Underground song. Which is why I don't care for it. It has the sixty, <laughs> the most, the most sixties storybook spoken words. Smoke, spoken yeah. word vocals ever uh yeah like the little gnome wouldn't his little home like like shit i made all those words up but like mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what it is about the 60s and like storybook and reading things in the super british accents and talking about whimsy it was the thing that apparently was going on more than i i thought it was because i i i feel like we've we've done albums where i'm like obviously Velvet Underground capitalized that spoken word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. experimental thing, but a lot of bands were doing it. Uh, yeah, and much better. I'm kidding. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I, don't I, I can't judge whether or not I think Velvet Underground was good at that stuff because I don't like that stuff. Or uh, nor the Velvet Underground episode seventeen. Uh, uh, what else? Oh, that uh, desert- what? politician. Oh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> You don't like it? And here's the thing. I kind of liked it. And then the next album ruined it for me. Oh, okay. So that makes, that makes sense. I didn't, I, I know I've heard this before, but I didn't realize it was a cream song. I feel like maybe I've heard cover versions of it, but I'm all about sleazy rock and roll. And this is one of the sleaziest songs. Yeah. I'm going to put on, you'll hear it immediately from the opening notes. You'll know how sleazy this shit is. This is politician. And then you get the idea. If there's some like primus or uh, B part over this. I do like the, the really, uh, not sleazy vocals over it over that that's it's almost kind of silly sounding too yeah Um, no there's definitely uh obviously an air of of satire to it the lyrics are really fucking stupid like uh it's just i don't know they're just i guess it's about politics but it's not political it's like it's just about the, the, yeah, the it's, it's like it's, the concept of politics is what the song is about not even about it, anything political it's fucking okay i guess i guess people have political opinions mr jack bruce i guess that's a thing <laughs> in the world uh deserted cities in the, of the heart love that. I like that love it oh dude the strings on that song oh beautiful it's it's one of the most versatile songs yeah uh they nailed the strings in there too like man it it perfectly complemented that they're real minor key. They're real sad. They're real. And then the song is just rocking. I fucking love it. Uh, I, man, if this band was more of that stuff, I would be a huge fan. Like, <laughs> clearly they can do I, some awesome stuff, but what they, what they really, focused on, I didn't like Go on. I really like, uh, the guitar tone on born under a bad sign because mm. I've talked about it on previous episodes. One of my favorite albums is James Brown show is funky mm. where he doesn't sing. He's playing the organ and I don't know which one came first, but yeah, the, uh, the guitar sound that is based around show is funky is on 
on this born under really? a bad sign so it kind of took me to that album and this because it's so similar i'm like okay mm-hmm. i dig it i dig it nice nice um overall i think um you're you're pretty much going to get the one white room as far as like mm-hmm. instant hits and instantly you're going to love it which is i think it's kind of shitty for the album too. Like whenever you hear albums where they have one mega hit and the rest of the songs are like, meh, I bet it would be a decent album if this song wasn't on there. Like, or at least it would be, it would seem a lot better. Cause like you open it off with one of the, the most iconic rock songs ever. And then the rest is like, yeah, this is good. I mean, it's, but you're just waiting for it to get to that level again. It's fucking yeah. not going to get there. It's not, uh, it's still real good. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's weird though. Like, Greatest hits band, it seems like. I mean, just based and, off this. And now we open the floodgates. Well, first, before okay. we <laughs> before we open those floodgates, uh, anyone for tennis? We briefly touched upon it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the closing track here. It's also extremely British. And here we here we go. Here it is. Here is anyone for tennis? God fucking damn it! It's nice though. I think it's nice. Obviously, I like it more than Bubba's oh, yeah. Laments. And- <laughs> if they let uh, Ginger Baker sing over this, though, it might have been a shit show. It, yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that. It just jogged my memory. Um, uh, Bruce is l- way less of the fucking harmony falsetto. Oh, way less. He's fucking mm-hmm. singing most of these songs. And I think that's mm-hmm. ultimately why like, I had to give it best. Like, even though we're going to talk about the second half, which is fucking rough. You don't have to listen to... You can stop at Anyone for Tennis. You can stop there, and it's a full album. And, and we thought about doing it. We, we thought, thought about, about it, it. And then we realized we were being lazy, and we have no reason not to. Uh, yep. If we stop here, clearly the best. You're not going to find any better cream than here. Listen to Such an Every Love. On a different, like a, a separate occasion, okay? Because this is the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His vocals are, are just phenomenal here. And then we go to the like, honestly, I think the only reason why we ended up agreeing to listen and re- re- quote unquote review this the live half is because there are technically two uh, unreleased tracks or two songs that you, you can only get here. Yeah, on this disc. However, those blow. Those suck. They fucking suck. And then the other two are Spoonful and Toad. Dude. Dude. Well. Fucking. Well. Okay. So Crossroads, it opens with Crossroads. And that already put me in a, a bad mood, but it's like one of their most beloved songs ever. And I have no idea why. No idea why. But I, I guess if you're into that kind of shit, okay. And then we get to Spoonful. 16 fucking minutes of jerking off of whittly diddlies. That's all I could imagine that was happening is that whenever Ginger Bricker decided to do a, a drum solo, uh, Jack Bruce pulled his pants down and Clapton uh, promptly blow, blew him as it happened. Cause I can't imagine anyone being interested this entire, this entire track. It's, it's unbelievable. It's fucking- it's boring. Also, you talked about it earlier, but I realized with jam music, like it's only for their fans, because if you're not sold on a band, 
this this is going to do fucking anything yeah. for you. So the thing about jam music and the thing I, I well I hate jam music. I've said this episode already. Uh, jam music for one, yeah. If you're not a fan already, it's going to alienate new fans. You got to love the band and then be wanting to see them play for fucking 20 minutes nonstop. <laughs> the second thing is the reason why I hate jamming is it's the most indulgent musical thing you could possibly do because jamming feels awesome. It, it's it does. fun as fuck. You get to do whatever the hell you want. You can fucking, you can start humping your guitar if you want. You could do anything you want when you're jamming for as long as you want. No one wants to hear that. No one is enjoying you looking at you do that. Uh, like I said, unless you're high or you're already a fan. So, hearing it for 16 minutes felt like I was just kicking myself in the balls for the entire time. Like, it was, and spoonful is already rage inducing. It's already, it's already <laughs> bad. And then we, and then, and then we, then they have toad and look at that. Another 16 minutes. It's another 16 minutes. <sighs> it's, yeah. It's, it's a big, turn off and uh what well, tricky we'll let's dwell on to- toad in a second train time is the other um previously not on an album song that went by so quick because it's sandwiched between two 16 minutes it's like six minutes and change too it's not short it's just <laughs> no yeah and it's mostly like harmonica bluesy stuff and i don't like that either but compared to spoonful and then toad like the original Toad drum solo was already fucking 500 hours. This one is like, it just doubled it. They just made it a thousand hours. It just, fuck it. Why not? It, it all sucks. It's not worth it. I will say it's produced pretty well. Sounds pretty clear. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Their, uh, their live stuff is produced real good. Not bad. Not bad. Don't listen to it though. It's, 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 it's man. Why not just release a separate live album and then be done with that? I, uh, so they're, to their credit, I think they were you. They did give people the option to buy them like separately that's, or together. I'm actually surprised that that's actually a really good idea, and not even like smart, like just mm-hmm. a, a a kind idea. Now it does. Now it does. Doesn't fucking, fucking matter. Just turn it off after uh, anyone for tennis, please, for the love of God. Unless you like live jammy stuff that goes on for six and a half hours, then. By all means, uh, but this yeah this is a, this is very much a, a best and personal favorite with asterisks. I would yes, say. studio album thumbs up. Live stuff can go get fucked. Yeah. Um, but I guess we will move on. It seems it, like for to most people's, I'd say the layperson would say this would be the last one. This is like the only album they don't see. Cause they don't seem like even when I knew who they were and I knew about them, I thought they only had like two albums. So mm-hmm. the fact that there's four is like, Whoa, a whole what? <laughs> so there is another album after this one and it's, uh, right, we're going to talk about it. It's a live album. Well, kind of, kind of it's, uh, Oh wait, this is their last album. 1969. Goodbye. Are we really doing this? Are we putting on the fucking live song? Again, good live production. Yeah, well, yeah, decent. Most part. I'm so glad. Oh. I'm 
Oh, it's your favorite song. They somehow... Okay, no, hold on. I need I need a second. Okay, wait a minute. We don't need to listen to that. You don't... That's... I'm so glad from the first album, which I said had horrible vocals. These vocals are somehow worse. Somehow worse. <laughs> okay, this album is very short. It's three live tracks, three studio tracks. Three the three live tracks we've all we've heard those. So I don't know why they start with the live tracks. I'm gonna put on badge, which is the first studio track, and it's not it's like why would you not whatever. Here we go. With the new stuff. Yeah. Why would you not start your your last album with the new stuff in the studio? I'm so confused. I think George Harrison helped write this song. Really? I like it. Not because George Harrison. I didn't know that until right now. This does not sound like cream. No, this is a different band. I like it. It's real, real sexy. Real sexy for, for 60 stuff. Uh, worst album. Worst album. Undoubtedly. Okay, I didn't give it worse because it was easier to listen to than their first album for me. Yeah. For whatever reason, it was just easier to listen to, but really, like, yeah, badge, and then everything else is like, we've we've been here. I, well, the so the three studio tracks, I like them all a lot. Okay. And I think if this was, because they didn't really do EPs back then, and I think if this was an EP, which it fucking should have been, this was probably be my favorite because I like all three. They're all way different. They sound nothing like mm-hmm. cream, way more melodic, way less rock and roll. No bluesy shit. Nothing like it's still really 60 sounding, but uh, a lot less obviously 60s, if that makes any sense. Like it doesn't it doesn't have like, yeah. like the tambourines and the oh, and the and the fucking <laughs> long drum solos, like things that were, you know quintessential eight uh 60s um doing the doing that scrapyard thing real funny zany vocals bruce is rolling his r's he's doing that fucking <laughs> stupid shit uh but would it bring down the last one lovely love it think the- i wasn't expecting really i wasn't expecting you to say that yeah. i think there's some of the more more interesting cream songs but the fact that the first three tracks are insanely long jammy bullshit versions of songs we already heard uh this is undoubtedly the worst like you can't like at least with with wheels of fire you can stop listening after a certain point this one you hit play and it sucks that's what that's what like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know if uh wheels of fire like uh greased me up for this but for whatever reason the first time i listened to it it went by so like fast and easy i was like that that's it mm-hmm. and then i just went back again and i was just like uh like i i get giving it worse but i think because of the live the live tracks and it went went by so easily for me i'm like uh it's it's okay uh i'm actually gonna check right now how long each of these are because yeah they're pretty short they're- albums outside of wheels no um no, no, I mean, I mean the the live tracks in here. Like, uh, the longest one is 
is I'm so glad the first track and it's nine minutes, which is, yeah. first of all, it's inexcusable to put a nine minute jammy live track at the beginning of your album. Inex- inexcusable. There's, you should be arrested. But the I other think two, some bands could pull it off live though. Yeah. I disagree with live starting your, your album with a live track. I disagree with that entirely. I don't know. It's this weird fucking value that I hold, but uh, <laughs> the other two, they're like five and six minutes. So mm-hmm. it's not like compared to the 16 minute wank fest of wheels of fire, man, that is okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah. But like, Go. just re, just put side B first, just put the studio tracks first. And this would not be worse for me. Like, In, instead of breaking it up into two different discs, this, this one should have been two different side, side A, side B. But it's also, um, 31 minutes or 30 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, compared to all the albums, it's, it's way shortest. It's like, uh, I mean, I get they had already planned to, to break up. You yawning on me, Alex? My boring you? My boring uh, you, no, Alex? No, this band. Uh, this band <laughs> no, it's the band idea. that's boring you. Uh, yeah. like, like, I'm assuming they already planned the breakup by the time this came out. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah they they did. Hence the goodbye name. And- yeah. And also, I, I feel like everything was recorded before they decided to break up. Yeah. And then they they got out a few few shows at the the forum mm. so in uh in los angeles los angeles uh so so yeah so what i know about their breakup is that they were all uh about to break up the minute the band formed like yes. these guys are uh aside from clapton well, who's like neutral bruce and ginger are the the they're enemies mortal enemies they're both dead now so good riddance but they're mortal enemies like i think the first time uh baker hung out with clapton he expressed how much he did not like jack bruce it's hilarious but they were like oh we should we should start a band and i don't know why clapton was like well start a band but jack bruce needs to be in it and baker said evil. I think he said he was driving. He almost crashed the car. (laughs) Oh, geez. So, yeah, this was an uneasy alliance. So do you you know the backstory between Bruce and Ginger before cream? I do not. I just know that they did not. For whatever reason, there's a reason did not. There is a reason. Oh, boy, is there a reason? Oh, really? They played music together in. I fucking forget the name Graham something. He, just, he was popular at the time. Sixties sort of a, I guess you could say fusion fusion of what I couldn't tell you. Cause I wasn't listening to the music, but uh, ginger was the drummer and they got uh, Jack Bruce on bass and they, they hit it off like before that because ginger was kind of a snob or was kind of a snob or elitist when it comes to musicianship and stuff. And he's like, he can keep up. He's good. He has good time. Um, so he liked he liked Bruce. So at some point during this this band that they were both in together, uh, Ginger explains it using this weird uh, sunset or sunrise analogy. What he was trying to say was that I, th- I believe that Bruce would come in too early. He would come he would come in too early, and he would play over his drum solos. Oh, that's. 
that's part of why they broke up. I, I read something that at one show, Clapton said he wasn't even playing guitar and neither of them noticed. Uh, so this is also why Ginger Baker is a fucking maniac. Uh, he, he uses this, you know, this crazy analogy to explain that he's probably coming in too early. And he, I guess one thing that was like building up his anger over that. And then <laughs> one show he perceived Jack Bruce to be playing over his solo. Uh, something Bruce said that he was not doing or never did. And he just started beating the shit out of him on stage. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and clearly he, I mean, the, that ended that Bruce left that band. So they hated each, hated each other. Like obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some reason, I, it's like as much as Baker is a fu- was a, a fucking maniac. Something about Bruce rubbed me the wrong way when like watching his interviews. Like I don't know if this. Guy, I feel like this guy might be had like had it coming like a little bit because because <laughs> uh, Baker said like the thing about his time right and this dude is one of the most brilliant drummers of all time. I trust his internal metronome. But obviously, no one is perfect. No one is a perfect metronome. Mm-hmm. And then Bruce says, "I don't know what he's talking about. I have perfect time." I'm like, "Okay, listen, bitch. Okay, first of all, all right, you know, you know, hold on, you know, hold on, because maybe not everyone has. You no, know, maybe you, did, you maybe you know, maybe I should punch you now because <laughs> I, it's. I get that Ginger Baker's a fucking psycho. Okay, but uh, I don't know. He seemed really condescending with a lot of his like." Oh, he's, I don't know. Maybe he's a shithead. Like the only, like I said, the only person that seemed kind of in the clear was Clapton. Oddly enough, yeah. Maybe he's like that that kid who can just tell people are getting pissed off. So he's like, let me, let me keep pushing these buttons. It's actually clear. possible. Uh, one it, one other moment. Uh, Clapton said that he would like break down and start crying when they were fighting sometimes because it was just like too much and they would never stop and. When they asked Captain about it, he was like, "Yeah, yeah." Sometimes I'd cry, like they just wouldn't stop. It was like you know, it was a lot to handle. And then Bruce was like, "Yeah, sometimes you'd cry," and he had like this super condescending <laughs> fucking asshole face about him. Like, "Ooh, I'm glad you're dead." Ooh, ooh. Yeah, that's not true. I'm not glad he's dead. But it's also funny that he died like five years before Ginger Baker did. That's also that, that is insane. Yeah, that's like Ozzy Osbourne is still alive, but uh, amazing. Yeah, you never know who's going to not die. But uh, yeah, that's thankfully the end of Cream. Uh, they, <laughs> until they got back in 93, mm. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did a little thing for that. And then, they, as you they, said earlier. Did they fight during that? Did they get into like any kind of shit? I'm not sure. I know the like 2005 shows they didn't do interviews so it was all very hush hush and it seems like Clapton was this kind of nostalgic and he was like let's just give it one more one last one more yeah so they did it they did it for Clapton and uh that's interesting made more money in four nights than any most people will their entire lives vast majority of people that is and then the, the naturally the next thing you do is you, you buy uh, a bunch of horses and you spend it all immediately oh yeah that's what like, i would do i don't know about if, you if you 
if you've been down in the dumps and you've been given a second chance to live comfortably, yeah. you throw, you piss it away immediately. Yeah, that's absolutely. this is what you do. Man, that, these are fucking next. Next thing you know, the the wives are going to be coming after you with alimony, and you got a God step forbid, kid. Yeah, God forbid you have to talk to your children, uh, <laughs> dude. Like, I as much as I, I want to shit on because he's a Ginger Baker was a fucking horrible human being. I kind of like I kind of back him up with buying horses, like <laughs> <laughs> because he really loved it. Like he loved it as much as playing the drums. <laughs> And like, dude, you got to go after your passion in life. I, I get it. Maybe it's costing you millions of dollars. Yeah, but it's what you love. Man, Fuck, man. too bad his intuitions on uh, horses weren't as good as making generic blues music. Well, in his defense, he didn't write the fucking things. He didn't ask them. To, he just played drums and arranged the stuff. And uh, it's kind of all you can do when you're a drummer, I guess, unless you're actually playing writing the music um there's not too many instances of that well probably are but i just can't think of very many the only one that comes to the top of my head because i'm a nerd is slint where the drummer wrote the songs on guitar like he wrote the songs R- random pull but uh slipknot when they had joey jordanson mm-hmm. he wrote he wrote a good amount of songs it's always cool was, uh, yeah that's very cool he, he's the drummer yeah before a uh, Mr. J. Weinberg stepped in. But, oh, uh, oh, Mr. J. Weinberg. Oh, interesting. Oh, I wonder whose yeah. son that is. Yeah, son of uh, Max Weinberg of the East Street Band with a little known singer uh, and named Br- Br- Bruce Springsteen. Also, leader of the Max Weinberg Seven. Also, J. Weinberg. Uh, Max got sick and he like went out on tour when he's like 14. This took his dad's job. I hate them so much in their success. <laughs> I hope they don't know. And I, that's actually pretty heartwarming. That's fucking awesome. That's um, real sweet. But also like Ginger Baker's son, like, he was a drummer as well. And he obviously looked up to his dad and this is going exactly where you think it's going. Uh, his dad disowned him and uh, discouraged him. And, uh, uh, and he's a good fucking drummer. Like I bet he is. Yeah. There's, I believe this band is called Masters of Illusion. They're kind of like sludge metal a little mm-hmm. bit. I forget the main guy in that band. He's awesome, produced man. a lot, a lot of like the desert rock stuff, like mm-hmm. a lot of the Caius, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, because those are the only two desert bands. But in you get world. what I mean, like yeah. that, that vibe. He produced a lot of that stuff. He's a, a big like producer in that world. But he has his band Masters of Illusion, and he actually got Ginger Baker to drum on one of the albums. It's so fucking weird. Interesting. Especially, especially considering how Baker feels about heavy metal music, given this isn't like Slayer metal, but still. Uh, I think in, in, in the later days, he was real desperate for money. He was playing for some shit that was real bad uh I've, and no one wanted I've, to work with him no one no one wanted to work with him he had to, he was literally posting neither do i he was literally posting ads of like you know 33 years of experience professional drumming and like because no one want yeah i mean yeah he's <laughs> he knows, a bad rep <laughs> you respond to a craigslist ad it's this fucking <laughs> <laughs> fuck man I'd, I'd fake a phone call and leave uh but, yeah I should have wrote that album down, 
but yeah, that album, that album's fucking good. It's mm. real good. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I want to hear more of his stuff with good production because, mm-hmm. uh, these no, albums aren't doing justice. Like in, in the nineties, I think, or maybe early two thousands. So I know he'd played for one band. Fuck. I'm forgot, forgetting what it's called, but they were like, I don't couldn't even tell you what they were, but they were not famous. Um, but they did sound very nineties, like nineties alt rock, like kind of what I feel like faith no more would have sounded like if they didn't branch off and get crazy, like during mm-hmm. angel dust, that kind of stuff. But, uh, I don't know, whatever. Let's, uh, let's fucking wrap it up. Like, you know, just a, a quick summary of this album. I don't know, dude, listen to the three studio tracks. I would say, I think they're great. Uh, but as far as an album goes, poorly put together i say not good yeah <laughs> so uh we went the uh almost went the whole podcast without going legendary, legendary. oh okay. yeah I, I i guess we couldn't find a way to like squeeze it in so we're, we're both big uh <laughs> neil hamburger fans uh man dude we were at the uh mr bungle show in la the the night where Neil Hamburger opened up for them, him and Cattle Decap. And he's got a lot of material on Eric Clapton. And uh, oh, it's wonderful. It's very so fun. Very the fun. Best. Let's just say it's not flattering to Mr. Clapton. It's fucking brutal. It's so funny. The audience, they immediately, immediately turned on him. Turned on him. Boo- booing the second that he said Clapton's name. I'm very I'm I'm very confused that the bungle crowd and cattle decap crowd are such yes. such defenders of Eric Clapton. I, first of all, jokes. Okay. Jokes, comedy jokes. jokes yeah. Even Second, if it was a, even if it was a band, I like it. I can admit it. Be, it was funny. Yeah. Jokes. But the, even taking that out of, out, of, out of the equation, say if you made a joke, it means you're an asshole. Just say whatever for argument. Okay. I would never expect that audience to be so <laughs> passionate about Eric Clapton. Yes. What the fuck? Yes. <laughs> it does it doesn't make any fucking sense. But uh yeah, shout out to Neil Hamburg. Hell yeah. I like your I like your Eric Eric Clapton and your cream jokes. He's the best. Uh he is a friend of a friend of mine. I met him one time. He's a very sweet guy. Uh not well, Neil's a in, in real life, his name is Greg. Uh everyone he's also does like shows with you know Tim Heidecker and stuff. He's a he's a fucking He's a seasoned pro, but like, I can see why he's not a household name. <laughs> like, you can, you can almost say he's legendary. I think he's legendary. Um, <laughs> but let us recap. So this is uh, pretty boring in terms of our picks. Uh, Fresh Cream, nineteen sixty-six. That is my personal least favorite. I think it is hard to sit through and very bluesy. I don't like the blues. If you like the blues, maybe you might like it. Uh, 1968 Wheels of Fire. That is best album objectively by all accounts for the most part. And my personal favorite, uh, goodbye. 1969 worst album. It's, it would be a great EP. It would be a real good EP, but it ends up being their worst album. Alex. Uh, me, I agree almost entirely with what Mike said about fresh cream. It's my worst least favorite and then best personal favorite wheels of fire 
with a big fat asterisk yeah, to don't, not listen to disc two. Don't listen to disc two. But the first <laughs> first half is real good. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you want to help us support us, please subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave comments, reviews, fucking five star ratings, tell a friend. Please tell a friend. Tell a friend. If you think they won't be really annoyed by all this. Please, or if you do think that, you know what? Fuck it, whatever. You don't have to tell anybody. Just please keep <laughs> listening. Uh, if you want to suggest an artist for us to talk about, please send everything you want to every album ever at gmail.com. Of course, we have a Spotify playlist on Cream. You can find the link in the description of wherever you're listening and watching, as well as on everyalbumever.com, where we got links to all the playlists for all the episodes. Uh, uh, who's, who's picking last song? I <laughs> I don't give a care, but this kind of going over with what we talked about, I feel like we we play we gave people a taste. I kind of feel like we should play Deserted Cities of the Heart because we talked about that, but we didn't we didn't, didn't dive into that one. You know what? That is, uh, if I had to pick, that's what I would choose. So that is uh, very nice that we came together once again two weeks in a row. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. See ya. Yeah. Streets where time has died, the golden treat you never tried. In times of old, in days gone by, if I could catch a dancing eye, it was on the way, on the road to dreaming. Now my heart's drowned in no love's dreaming. The street is cold. Its trees are gone The stories told the dark and one Once you set sail To catch a star